This podcast is a collaboration between Costard and Touchstone Productions and the Dads from the Crypt podcast. Hi, it's Alan, and welcome to a bonus episode of the How Not to Make a Movie podcast. A couple weeks back, Gil and I were honored to be celebrated at this year's Chattanooga Film Fest. While it really was a hell of a lot of fun, it wasn't the best part of the weekend, not for Gil and I. The best part of the weekend was getting to meet a lot of talented young filmmakers and see their work. One of those talented filmmakers is a, a guy named Francisco Lacerdo, a Portuguese-American filmmaker from the Azores. He made a fantastic short called, they call it Red Cemetery. It's a beautifully shot parody of Sergio Leone's spaghetti westerns. Now, the cool thing about Red Cemetery is you can... Feel Francisco's genuine passion for the thing that he's parodying. Actually, what you can feel is Francisco's deep passion for movie making itself. Hey, Gil and I can relate. Red Cemetery. So I was saying we we saw it at the at the Chattanooga Film Festival like two weeks ago. Gil at with a bunch of of, of uh, shorts. But you know, yours really stood out. I mean, I just couldn't stop laughing, and it just was—it just was so tales from the crib. Had we had the show on now, or you'd been around when we did the show all those years ago, we would have been on the phone to you saying, "Hey, uh, you got to come in and do one." That's true. Yeah. yeah oh you, my God. You, and that's Francisco Lacerda. Yeah. That's that's how much we liked it. I mean, we don't like a lot of stuff, and we don't talk to a lot of people. But uh, you know, we both looked at each other and said, "Who is this guy? We got to talk to him." <laughs> Your promo for was I think karaoke night is yeah. fucking hilarious. Oh, it, it, it's hilarious, and and that if, if never mind Red Cemetery, if I had seen that, I would hire you. Wow, uh, yeah, that's I'm completely flattered. Uh, like hearing this from the the guys who made the tales from the crypt, I'm really big fan myself. Uh, I'm just wow, made my day. Um, <laughs> Very pleased. I'm so glad you guys really enjoyed it. So I was actually born in the States. I was born huh. in Fall River. Uh, my parents are Portuguese from the Azores. And uh, I lived there until I was uh, five years old. And then we moved back to the Azores. The Azores is an archipelago composed of nine volcanic islands in the Macronesia region of the North Atlantic Ocean, about 1,400 kilometers, 870 miles west of Lisbon, Portugal. Though it's Portuguese, the Azores are autonomous and quite beautiful. I lived there uh, most of my life. And then uh, after I went to film school, I moved to Helsinki with my uh, wife. And now I've been living here in Helsinki and going, you know, between Helsinki and the Azores doing my stuff. You're in Helsinki now? Yeah, right now I'm in Helsinki. Wow. Where did what, you... time, what time is it there? Eight o'clock, uh, 8 p.m. Ah, cool. Where did you go to film school? Uh, it was in Portugal. It was uh, it was an arts college uh, called uh, co the how was it? Uh, it has a Portuguese name, but it was like basically the 
Superior School of Arts and Design of Caldas de Rainha in, in, in like West Portugal. Mm -hmm. And I took like basically the, the filmmaking course, which was sound and image. And uh, you, uh, <laughs> you seem to have been a terrific student. You, you've applied everything so, so uh, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, I guess. Uh... You, you describe yourself as Azor exploitation. <clears throat> oh what, yeah. What, um, what do you mean by that? So Azor exploitation. It, it kind of started as a joke, actually, because I was doing like I was doing stuff in in the Azores and in Portugal. Let's call it generally that uh, I guess no nobody was doing uh, at the time. So there were basically exploitation type of films or films inspired by exploitation films and you know just genre pictures uh, in general. Francisco, what in your mind when you think of an exploitation film? What's one or two? What are one or two that just pop right into your mind? You go, yeah, that, that's what I'm going for. Um, I'd say uh, Hannibal Holocaust is a great example of an exploitation <laughs> film. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. All right. We have nothing against cannibalism. Films. <laughs> but I think mostly uh, most Italian uh, genre pictures of the 70s and the 80s can be categorized as uh, exploitation films. Even the spaghetti westerns. I mean, spaghetti westerns are exploitation films in the end. So, uh, yeah, I was basically doing like i wouldn't call them exploitation but i like the sound of azor exploitation like there's also the canuck exploitation or sure. the sure. exploitation sure. uh kind of thing and uh you know my cinema was drank a lot from uh those types of film and i just said hey let's make uh every time i would like have an idea for an next film hey, let's make another azor exploitation film and uh it just caught up like on on the motel x film festival um i was talking to this one guy that works at the fest and he was asking so you you're back with another azor exploitation and i was like that was the first time i heard the the term from somebody else's mouth and not my own i was like yeah that's right another azor exploitation <laughs> and from then on now just i label them mostly as azor exploitation i define them basically as uh, genre uh, short films or feature films that are made in the Azores uh, by Azorian uh, artists. Hmm. And, and if they feature a, a little bit of blood spatter, it's a good, it, it, it makes them even better. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, most of them always feature some kind of uh, violence or weird genre things going on there. <clears throat> what does Azor exploitation owe to Portuguese exploitation movies? Oh, yeah, Portuguese exploitation films. So um, the, in Portugal, it's, it's you know, horror films in general are scarce. Yeah, it's hardly any. I mean, whatever you consider to be a Portuguese horror, it's not really horror per se, but it does touch, a, touch up on teams that are considered horrible or horrifying. Why, uh, is, why is that, do you suppose? I mean, is that a cultural thing? It's, uh, I think it's a stigma uh by the guys that run the, the portuguese film institute and uh you know the 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 prestige uh aspect of portuguese cinema you know it's mostly um the films while they you know hover around the genre genre film is very you know 
it's very stigmatized in Portugal. So you don't really see much, many feature films uh, that are self-assumed as horror films uh, coming out from Portugal. Although that's been changing in the recent years. Like uh, there's one feature film called Mutant Blast that's Portuguese, directed by my uh, friend uh, Fernando Ale. It was a it was a trauma co-production, and uh, most recently, there's actually a self-assumed uh, Portuguese horror film coming out soon. Fernando was there at the time, and he asked the the director, "So, is this really a horror film, or is just uh, something that's hovering around the world?" And he said, "Yes, it is a, a self-assumed horror film," which is great to to hear because in Portugal you don't really hear that coming from many. When mm -hmm. when you say self-assumed, I'm not quite sure what what that means. Uh, the the director assumes that uh, the film is an actual horror picture and not something that's uh, no, don't call it a horror picture, call it a drama kind of thing. I see. So so Isn't they're it? they're they're owning the horror. Yes, they're they're owning it. Okay, all right. Whatever so... that how that might be seen in the okay. eyes of the purists of Portuguese cinema. Uh, all right, so so it's not just something that's being thrown at them or spattered that they're being spattered with. It's they're mm -hmm. actually, yeah, they're stepping up and going, that's what I am. Well, at at least with this one film coming up soon, yeah. But uh, I I don't know about what's coming next. Honestly. Sure. Well, <laughs> hey, if it succeeds. It'll go one yeah. way. If, if uh, it, hopefully, if it hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, it succeeds Absolutely. and it opens the eyes of the the people with the money. Uh, that is usually how it works. It's that simple. Mm. Let's let's shift gears a little bit. What what is life like in the Azores? Um. So it, it, they're islands. They're, they're like nine islands in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, I lived in the uh, island of San Miguel. It's the largest island of the archipelago. Uh, um, you, you live in Ponta Delgada? Uh, yes, Ponta Delgada, indeed. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's a small place, um, very contained. Everybody knows uh, each other. Uh, kind but, of deal but physically it's it's beautiful it's very yes. very it's lush and green because of of uh it, it's the weather is actually quite mild though you're you're kind of perched well off well off of portugal not mm -hmm. in the middle of the atlantic but but you're, yeah it's you're, you're, i don't know how many miles west of portugal but uh it's it, it it's almost, not a few the tectonic uh Fisher. Yes, know. right, right, right. You are, and, and the Azores are where kind of where three plates meet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. How, how cool. How, how cool. Uh, it is. <laughs> one the, I've been to Iceland and, and Iceland mm. is, is fascinating. First of all, because there's, it's, it's, there's the combination of the fire because of, of the tectonic nature, but also because it's so far north, it's cold. Mm -hmm. And the fire and the ice make for a fascinating images. But there's a place where in Iceland where you can literally stand between two tectonic plates. Oh, that's that's amazing. It's it's that quite cool. Oh yeah, there it is. You're I don't know that there's a place like that uh in the Azores, but you certainly there have been earthquakes there that were catastrophic. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, years ago, I don't think I've ever experienced anything that was 
uh, catastrophic when I was living there. I do remember experiencing some that, you know, when I was at school, I remember see we there was this uh, wave of, of earthquakes and there was one particular earthquake that was that was scary. It was really it was kind of scary. I remember seeing the pillars of the the structure just wobbling around. And, uh, you, you know, we yeah, were, they, they we, shut we, down the school there. <laughs> we, too, are an earthquake country. We're, we're in California. And, and so, you know, it we can so relate to 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 living in in a, in a place where this shit can happen at any particular yeah. moment. You hey, you just accept that as part of uh, the pleasure of living in this particular place. Exactly, exactly. But, uh, actually, yeah, it's you might actually find that if you did some research that the reason you're you're so into horror movies is because as a young kid you got shook so much yeah. and so bad <laughs> an earthquake that it's changed your whole sensibility we're gonna get into why uh am i so fascinated by horror or anything i think it, it comes it, it actually started in america when i was still living there uh with the fact that um um the house that i was living there was uh, the story around that it was haunted so mm-hmm. this is this has kind of been with me my whole life in, in some kind of fashion. And I just developed this fascination with the, you know, films in general with uh, uh, was after watching Jurassic Park on VHS. Would, would you consider that the first horror film you ever saw or what what no. is the first horror film you ever saw? The one that that just. It got you. Yeah, the one that got me, the one that scared the living bejesus out of me, is right here. Alien. Alien. I was eight years old, eight, and Alien was coming up on TV, and my dad said, hey, we got to watch this film tonight. And I'm like, (laughs) okay. (laughs) About to the part where they start descending to the planet and they get in the, the derelict ship. Uh, I just kind of hid behind the the couch, and my dad just switched channels. So later on, I, I still that still that whole sequence stayed with me. It, it got burned in my mind. I, I was like, I gotta watch that film. I gotta watch that film. So DVD came up, and uh, I remember seeing on a on one of the DVD stores we had in Azores, uh, Alien DVD, and. Uh, uh, my mom said, if you uh, succeed in your grades, I'll get you that DVD. So I studied hard, got good grades, and she got me that DVD. And uh, we all sat down to watch, and I was completely, my my world changed. Uh, it had already changed with Jurassic Park once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, But with Alien, it was... I was terrified of that film, uh, to the point I couldn't look at its cover for months. I had to hide that DVD. I was so scared of that film. I had trouble eating too uh, because of that film. This lasted for maybe three months. And then I just decided to face my fears because I was scared, but I was utterly fascinated by this film. By the, the, the power that it, it had on me, how it made me feel that way, you know, so re- uh, repulsed by it. And uh, that really attracted me, and I, I went in again. I actually hid the fucking DVD in the in the attic. That's <laughs> my daddy. We gotta go to the attic. I gotta go get something from up there. So I got the DVD. I watched the whole film uh, again from end to. It, it's still it's still a scary film. It was still a scary film to me. However, the but, second uh, time. However, I was I I really appreciated it, and it's still for me one of the. Uh, 
the greatest films ever made. What really stood out the second time that you missed the first time? Uh, the, the film was burned into my mind, so nothing really stood out. But what stood out, uh, uh, not in terms of scenes, but just the craft of it and how you know how you don't how they worked so well with that creature. They didn't they didn't show much of it. They they kept it hidden till the very end, and that just the the way they did it, like it leaves so much to the imagination. That um, I mean. Well, it's just masterfully crafted uh, horror uh, thriller, and you know that the the craft of it really, really fascinated me. And I thought to myself, I really want to make something like this one day. Like it, it was very inspiring. This is this is oh this is how it begins for all of us. It uh, yeah, it gets underneath our skin, and the next thing you you know, you're obsessed, and until you completely obsessed, I was. I and, still am to this and, day. Yeah, yeah. Even doing it, it doesn't it doesn't feed the need. Mm, definitely, um, but I guess uh, after Alien, uh, you know, uh, at that time I knew I I, I want to make I want to make films, but uh, I was more interested in the special effects. I wanted to make special. I wanted to be a special effects artist, and I started uh, building stuff at home with whatever I could get because. Uh, I'm on an island. Uh, insularity was insane. Uh, it was very difficult to get hold of materials like latex. That is and, uh, that is the next like question. That. that is the next question. Okay, filmmaking in the Azores. All right. Uh, you Silicon had a camera, but but okay. Let, let's. Oh yeah, and I had a camera. camera. I yeah, I had a camera that was actually from my dad's uh, uh, company. He was working at uh, at um, how do you say it? It was it was like a power plant. He was a he was a mechanical engineer, sure. and he had this camera to shoot the, the motors and all that stuff. But was a part of the, the company, so that he could, would bring it at home sometimes. And this camera was an Olympus camera, like uh, one of those first, uh, really first digital cameras with a fixed lens that uh, when you turned on the lens would go out, and uh, it actually had the option to record video, but only thirty second clips. And without sound. So the oh. first things I did. Without sound, MOS. Wow. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, the first things I did were always shot in 30 seconds or less. Uh, that So I would actually edit in camera, like, okay, uh, first shot, we're going to shoot it, uh, cut, but without any sound. So I was making silent films in the end with my sister. And you, you there was horror no, already there. <laughs> yeah, but you had no access to to video editing, anything. You So you really had to kind of rope it in your head like like Hitchcock's rope. You just, it's going to have to flow from here to here to here to here because yeah. there ain't no cuts. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, I mean, you could stop the recording, but uh, it would only allow you to to shoot 30 seconds. I mean, you could stop it at 20 or 10 or something like that. But uh, more than 30 seconds, I couldn't do a consecutive take of it. First, I started shooting tests with the special effects thing. I, I remember doing like this uh, alien chest burster effect from watching. I watched so many making offs. Well, of uh, course. And stuff like that. I was completely enthralled. I was like uh, 13 or 14 at the time. That effect from Alien is was epic. It really it was mm -hmm. it it was kind of a game changer. It it is in everyone's head. It was the monster, and it had personality as it popped out of the chest. It was it was horrifying. Oh yeah, totally horrifying. It was a 
and yet cute. The thing uh, about it, Alien, is that it's so visceral in its biological elements, yeah. like the alien life cycle, the eggs. Uh, it's so damn alien and believable. Like you, know, you go to the, the far reaches of space and you, you come across something like that. I, I mean, you would probably come across something as alien as that creature. You know, it's it's so... And, and the way they portrayed it in the film, it's so damn organic, so you know, uh, you can almost feel it and you can almost smell it from how it looks. You know, there are a lot of movies where human beings are food, but in this one, we're just a womb. Exactly. And that's terrifying. We're just a cattle for them to breed. Um, and uh, I also like the the idea. I mean, the, with the, the sequels, they kind of um, try to explain more about it. But I really like, like the mystery of uh, wh what was it? Was it a weapon? Where did it come from? Uh, all that mystery, that uh, hidden lore about it was fascinating and just made the whole thing even more uh, terrifying. But uh, just going back uh, a bit into my uh, early filmmaking things, uh, Alien made me want to be a special effect and made me want to scare people with a film. But actually, it was the evil dead that showed me I that I okay. can okay. make... A film. What about Evil Dead made you made you see your own path that it wasn't just you loved and you 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 aspired to it, but suddenly you, you saw the dots connecting. Um, I guess it, the Evil Dead is such an independent film. It was basically made with friends mostly. It was Sam Raimi just gathering a bunch of people and and you know knowing about that. And reading more about the how it was made, it just yeah. really inspired me. It, it was like I I can be this guy totally. I can just get a bunch of friends and make a film. So uh, it, it kind of opened up the the possibilities that it's not that impossible to that's, make a film, that, and that just made me like go forward with it. That's really the nature of what we want to talk to you about because you have found ways to have a film career. Hmm. Really, really on 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 a shoestring. You're 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 doing it, in, in that both fascinates us, and uh, you know we we really respect the way that you're doing it because this is, I think, more the future than not. Hmm. I, I guess so. I mean, uh, as the years go by, one starts to realize that it it just gets harder and harder. Like. For example, uh, Red Cemetery. Um, uh, it came. It was an idea that came up during the pandemic, and uh, I had done crowdfundings before, like for Karaoke Night was my last crowdfunded project that was luckily successful. But <laughs> it was such a daunting experience that I'm never gonna repeat it. Yeah. And uh, with Red Cemetery, I basically had to. I had to produce it myself and uh, I had to go to uh, mostly Azorian grants, you know, and get a whatever I could uh, from them to make the project happen. And uh, yeah, uh, Red Cemetery actually made showed me that uh, I am not a producer and I don't think I want to be a producer. I am a director and writer, maybe. I mean, the flame is still there, but... Uh, we want more and we want to improve. And for that, we need to uh, go to greater heights and, and do more stuff than just get around a bunch of friends and, and oh. make things happen. Like my first films, uh, like 
there's Fangs and Claws and Fangs and Claws 2 and Freelancer. They were all done like, hey, let's get up a bunch of friends and make whatever we can with the money we have in our pocket, in the bottom of our pockets. And uh, yeah, those films basically were what jump-started my uh, film career into the film festivals and allowed me to make uh, more films for on and Mm-hmm. most recently read something are, are, are you doing are you making films now full-time or do you have a job or how do you support yourself uh right now i don't uh at the moment i used to have a day job but i got laid off so now i'm just fully into trying to make uh something new after red cemetery so mm-hmm. uh i don't really have a job right now i'm just living off welfare and it's tough mm-hmm. uh and savings basically so yeah, it's it's difficult. I don't think I've ever made a penny safe for a karaoke night. I've made a penny because I don't know if this is should be out. I think it's has already been announced, but uh, no, it hasn't. So something's coming up in October regarding karaoke night that I can't really talk about yet. But there's news out there, but they don't know that it's about karaoke night. But yeah, I, made, I did make a penny out of that one. And... Um, but yeah, I, short films. I mean, uh, it's a tough market to 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 sell them because they're they're short films. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Can yeah, use yeah. work as a proof of concept or something, but uh, mostly you know raise money, make them, get them out there, and you know pray for for good luck. <laughs> well, you know, in in the case of Red Cemetery, and it's a calling card. I guess it is. <laughs> and I'm re- really happy. I actually had a meeting with uh, uh, somebody. I mean, this is also off, a bit off the record uh, kind of thing here. But yeah, I had a meeting yesterday with some people that uh, uh, regarding Red Cemetery that uh, really, really made me happy. And uh, I wish I, I really wish I could uh, talk about it. But it's, you know, it hasn't yet been signed but uh it's gonna happen no, and, uh, no you'll hear about it definitely good 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 it should happen i mean you know you, you've worked really hard uh your hmm. your stuff is exceptional and and why not what what about what about um bigger projects i mean full-length projects i've been um at that for like maybe six seven years now i would say seven years yeah i wrote uh uh, me and uh, a Marino, uh, Francois, which is who's the the director of photography for, of Red Cemetery, and he's also been with me throughout all these projects mm-hmm. before in either a producer capacity or a director of photography capacity and or writer too. And in this case, we wrote together this feature film script for uh, for the Fangs and Claws project uh, based on Fangs and Claws, but as a standalone film because uh, you know. It, they're short films. Nobody is going to know the lore from those short films. So we decided to make something standalone uh, with the title. So, yeah, this uh, we've been trying to get it off the ground for like six years now. And, um, uh, you know, Portuguese Film Institute just looks at that and says, no fucking way. Because uh, it's just, you know, it's just not what you don't get a grasp of what it is you know it's an azor exploitation film it's uh it's rather epic for the micro budget it had uh we were asking for but uh i like to work with micro budgets because it's really uh pushes you to be more uh find creative solutions to um 
you know portray certain things on screen you um you know what your 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 work reminds me of uh early sam raimi oh well thank you and 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 but also early john waters oh wow yeah uh well that's a great compliment <laughs> you know there's there's um it's funny it's going to sound like I'm jumping ship a little bit. I I remember a, a review that I think it was in the New Yorker of Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and they refer to it as cheerfully loused up, and something about that that description of things being cheerfully loused up, you know, done with absolute. That was the point. There's there's a joy in the. In the way, yes, in the way that it was made, and the fact that it's not it's not precision filmmaking. It's mm. there's there's absolute there's absolute joy in it. There's there's a difference between people who love a movie, and you know, in, when you love something in in this context, you know what you love about it. Whereas yeah. people who adore a thing, they just love everything about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and it almost misses the point. Whereas mm. you, your love for 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 the spaghetti westerns mm. is is right there in your shot selection and and just the willingness to go balls to the wall all the way. Yes, because it's the fucking point. Yes, it is. <laughs> Otherwise, why would I make it? Why would I even try to attempt? And, uh, and and that Francisco is why we would have had you on Tales from the Crypt in a yeah, my goodness. And but but it's also why you know hey Gil and I are working on a new project called Are You Afraid, and you are definitely someone who would get our show. We wouldn't have to explain it to you. You'd walk mm -hmm. right in the door and go, I know how to do this in my fucking <laughs> sleep. If people want to see what we've been talking about in terms of in terms of your shorts, go there first. Is there a, an address or a website or something that we can promote in oh, our pod uh, where, where they can see these pictures? Because we we've spoken so highly about them. Okay, so um, like karaoke night now has found its a new life, which more news about that will come soon. Um, Red Cemetery is still doing its uh, festivals, um, but I do still have uh, Fangs and Claws 1 and 2. They're up on Trauma's YouTube channel because um, I managed to get them to distribute them. And uh, Freelancer, okay. I mean, it's still it's still up on Vimeo. Yeah. Um, okay. There's also a short called The Last Galaxy, which is like a, a Fox trailer. Uh, for an Azorian space opera ripoff film, um, and uh, yeah, I guess that's that's about it. That's what can be found online. I mean, uh, karaoke night used to be online, but not anymore, um, because of things that will come up soon. And uh, Red Cemetery is still still doing the, the fest, but uh, yeah, those those three films can be definitely found online. And uh, uh, I've gotten a lot of praise for Freelancer, although it's not a technically perfect film because uh, well, just reasons. Basically, I had to work with what I had. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I can also send you guys the, a bunch of links. But uh, basically, Trauma's YouTube channel has my two first short films, and uh, on uh, Vimeo, I think it's the. I think it's the 
cactus. But not, but not the, but not the one that we saw. Not, not the. Yeah, that one is still still doing the fests. Uh, yeah, the Call of Red Cemetery is still doing the fests, and uh, later on this year it will become available through uh, a distributor. Okay, you let us know that because you know I think I think our our audience would love to see what got us so excited about. Oh yeah, totally. to so we'd like to include that and in, as part of what we're telling them <laughs> in our podcast. Oh yeah, totally. Um, it's uh, oh yeah, I can't really announce these yet. Uh, it has a couple more screenings coming up, uh, mostly in Europe. Uh, I don't know when it's gonna screen up the next time in in the states though, but uh, I'm. As soon as I know, I'm going to be posting it on Instagram. <laughs> so, yeah, that's about it. And, and where cool. can people find you on Instagram? Uh, yeah, uh, at Francis, uh, two underscores, Lacerda. Any more questions? No, this was great. This was any, great. I, uh... any, any more answers? <laughs> um... Uh, I don't know. Uh, okay. Well, I, hey, guess, uh, I guess that's that's about it. Answers, more answers to come. Let's let's put it there. And mm. as we thank you so much for taking the time to, to sit with us, Francisco. Uh, we will be talking. Nice. Okay. I'll I'll be waiting. <laughs> <laughs> that that was a threat, by the way. I thought you'd appreciate that. Uh, anyway, and thank you everyone for, uh, for tuning in. The How Not to Make a Money podcast is executive produced by me, Alan Katz, by Gil Adler, and by Jason Stein. Our artwork was done by the amazing Jody Webster, and Jason Jody, along with Mando, are all the hosts of the fun and informative Dads from the Crypt podcast, followed up for what my old pal the Crypt Keeper would have called terrific Crypt content.